welcome back to another fun day at camp. After open swim, don't forget to stop by the canteen to pick up something from the bake sale. Then all campers will be meeting in the rec hall to watch Stand By Me, hosted by the Retro Club. Hello, and welcome to the Retro Club. We're your host, Megan. And John. It's another week. It's yeah. officially summer when this releases. It should be. I, the 21st, is that right? Yeah, June 21st, first day of summer, which is weird <laughs> because it's been hot and miserable the last couple of Yeah, it's been weeks. awful. I don't know. That's It feels so dumb to say now it's summer, but like, it's summer, y'all. It, yeah. It's officially here. And for once, I feel like we're normally like struggling to find something that happens during the week. And now we have tons of stuff to tell you about because <laughs> we took a little vacation. Uh, John and I took a couple of days off from work just to relax and I don't know, have some time to ourselves and just get away. Yeah. So we have a couple of things that happen. First thing, uh, we did take our vacation to a water park. Mm-hmm. What was the name of it? Raging Rivers in Grafton, Illinois. It's up like right towards the top of Illinois, close to the Missouri state line. It was Jordan's first, it's not her first vacation, but it was her first trip to a water park. Something about our child in water, she absolutely hates it. I don't think she smiled a single time on this yeah, trip. <laughs> yeah, she's she doesn't do well with water. I think towards the end, she was finally getting like kind of okay with it, but then she was like passing out. So yeah. She's just doing her thing. She was just there in the moment, not having a good time. <laughs> Sounds about right. No, she was fine. It was okay. Um, I feel, I don't know, maybe next year we'll probably have better luck is my guess. That's the hope. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. All right. What else is <laughs> happening in the in this world? Uh, we had a couple things. I mean, we went to the place that had pies. That was really good. I yeah. can't remember the name of it. It was it's, in Blue Springs, Illinois. Yeah. It, they I guess they were on the Food Network for their for mm-hmm. their pies. I I don't know. Yeah. We we saw it on our drive. It was a really really nice place. I enjoyed it a lot. It was really good. If you get you, I mean it's like in the middle of nowhere, but there are signs for it, so <laughs> if you catch it, it's pretty good. Um yeah. their pies are really, really tall. Well, they're advertised as foot-high pies, but I think on more than once, we called it mile-high pies on accident. Yeah. Yeah, I think that might have been you. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe me. I don't know. Uh, What else is going on? There's something else. Uh, You got sunburned really bad. I did. It hurts a lot. I kind of wish I was not wearing clothing right now, but it's a good thing we're not videotaping us yet y'all would be very upset (laughs) i went off on uh, an employee on the first day we were off at a restaurant (laughs) uh kind of a weird story megan ordered breakfast for me jordan and her so i went and picked it up brought it back (laughs) well no i take that back i didn't do it it was megan 
Megan I went did. and got it. That's right, because I stopped and got our breakfast, but I got my drink from Duncan because yeah. I need coffee in the morning. And, and I, I was super sad. Yeah, super sad because I got home and I went to sit down with my drink and I dropped it and lost all of it and was super <laughs> sad. <laughs> and so you offered to go get me another drink and mm-hmm. replace it. But I didn't tell, I mean, I just assumed he would see like the orange straws. I don't know. I didn't tell him. I was like, here, I'll just order another drink. And he said he would go get it. Yeah. You Hulk smashed the first one. So mm, a little bit. Yeah. It broke the lid. <laughs> yeah. And I felt really bad because you went and got us breakfast. So I went and had to deal with people at the Burger King. Mm-hmm. It was not fun. I I asked them if they could give me the reorder drink. It did not go well. So I had to call Megan and say, hey, these people do not have your order. And now I'm probably going to need your phone because it looks like I'm going to need to do a check-in just to get your drink. Yeah. So I drove back to our house, got the phone, went back to Burger King, got on the mic with them again. It did not go well. I ended up cussing at the woman about the drink. Mm-hmm. The woman's like, we don't have that order here. I'm like, yes, you fucking do. <laughs> it's on, I have it right here. And then I saw, as I was talking to her, that you just got it on your Dunkin' card. Mm-hmm. So then I just peeled out and didn't say anything to him. <laughs> um, yeah, poor lady. Pro- she did not deserve that. But it's okay. <laughs> you know what? It, if that's the worst thing that happened to her that day, then she had a good day, I guess, yeah. <laughs> working at a fast food place. Yeah, I was so mad when I got home. I was like, oh, you should have told me it was at Dunkin'. <laughs> that's always where I get my coffee. I don't even know if Burger King has coffee. I, I don't know. They probably have I think like they a- do. They've got iced coffee, but I don't, I don't know. I tried to get iced coffee from another fast food place, and it was essentially milk like brown colored milk and I won't be doing that again. Yeah. I also had a really bad experience at the water park. I only got to do one slide cause unfortunately with the baby, you're oh, really yeah. like, I guess tied down to what you can do. I hung out with her so you could go. I wasn't yeah. like super keen on going down any slides anyway. So right. I did. It was fun. But the thing that sucked is these two kids. I don't know where manners went. But they cut the line and just took these uh, tubes and went up. And everybody's like, what just happened? The kids didn't uh, say sorry or nothing like that. They just went right up. And then we were going up to start our line up there. And the two kids were up there talking about uh, not letting anybody cut. And we were like, you have a lot of room to talk. Hmm. Oh, those kids were just jerks. Yeah, I don't know. I mean... I'm just getting bitter at my old age, I think. There were a couple of kids. I don't know. I've got, like, kind of social anxiety going out to places like that. And honestly, I've had worse experiences, but I also didn't go on the slide, so I don't know. Yeah, that was the only bad experience I had there. I'd re- I'd recommend it to people. It was fun. Yeah, if you're in the northern Illinois, Mo- southern Missouri area, definitely check that out. It's pretty cool. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Speaking of summer activities, we've got another movie here following kind of the summer theme. I would say, yes, I would say this definitely falls into the summer theme. Yeah, it falls right into like Memorial Day. Oh, that's right. Memorial Day's in September, isn't it? 
I can't remember. I think it's closer to fall. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, we are covering Stand By Me, mm-hmm. which is um, a more serious movie from what we've been uh, been covering lately. I honestly don't even know what you would categorize it under. Like a drama? Truth. Yeah, it's coming, coming of, of age. age. Yeah. It's, uh, but it's listed as like an adventure drama. I'm, which I mean, the kids are on an adventure, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I don't know if maybe like dark comedy, maybe. Maybe. There's, oh, I don't know. I think overall arching theme is a drama. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely coming of age. And what year did this come out? It was 86. Okay. Yep. That's kind of an independent uh, film too. It wasn't made by a big studio, I don't think. Really? Yeah. Oh, it was made by Columbia, but I don't, I think Columbia was just on their way up. I don't think they were like anything powerful. I'm not sure about studios, like as far as where they stood at different points in time. So I can't say that for sure, but I feel like they definitely had a big director. And Oh yeah, Rob Reiner? Yeah. Which surprises me if it wasn't through a big studio. I'm a big Rob Reiner fan. I like quite a bit of his films. I love This is Spinal Tap mm-hmm. and Princess Bride. Oh, he, yeah. he, make, he makes good movies. I do. If I sat and looked at his catalog, I, I bet I like more than I realize. Yeah, he's he's always been good. Former actor turned director. Okay. He I mean the one movie I think of him in, I know this is like not his best work at all, is Dickie Roberts. Oh yeah. Where he's, <laughs> it's him as playing himself as the writer. As in, a director. As a direct or yeah, as a director and Dickie Roberts. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's a fun movie. Yeah. He gets beat up. <laughs> For no reason. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so I guess we can get some numbers and cast. Oh, let's do a synopsis first, actually, if you've yeah, got that. I do, I think. Yeah, I do. After learning that a stranger has been accidentally killed near their rural homes, four Oregon boys decide to go see the body. On the way, Gordy Lachance, which is Will Wheaton, Vern Tessio, Jerry O'Connell, Chris Chambers, River Phoenix, and Teddy Duchamp, Corey Feldman, encounter a mean junk man and a marsh full of leeches, as they also learn more about one another and their very different home lives. Just a a lark at first, the boys' adventure evolves into a defining event in their lives. I cannot talk. (laughs) I mean, it's weird that it pulled, like, little... uh pieces from the, like the leeches and the the mm-hmm. junk guy in there but other than that i don't know i say it's pretty spot on it's a good story I, I really i've read a lot of stephen king it's one of my more favorite ones of his i mean what i mentioned before when we covered now and then is i felt like now and then was the female if you will version of stand by me in a way because it's four friends mm-hmm. one summer that have an experience that they never forget it like Oh, yeah, for sure. This is definitely a movie that they're like, we should make this for girls. Well, and that's uh, now and then did come out in the 90s, Mm -hmm. set in the 70s. This came out in the 80s, set in the 50s. Right. So uh, same same concept all around. Yes, Stand By Me came first and Stephen King's book came first first. Yeah, (laughs) it's taken things that were popular from those times like. That kind of music had a spike in the 80s, and 70s music had a spike in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of 70s culture that was ripped in the 90s. 
Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's coming back now. Right. People, girls want like the feathered hair and the bell bottoms and mm-hmm. the like belly the crop chains. tops. Yeah, it's crazy. It's how it all just recycles itself. Yeah, every 20 years. Mm-hmm. Doesn't uh, change. Anyway, so uh, we you already mentioned some of the cast, which the cast in this is younger. There's not very many adult cast. I'd this, say there's actually. only three movies that have good child casts. Uh-huh. And this is one of them. Goonies. Obviously. And It the Remake, Chapter One. Oh, one that just came out a few mm-hmm. years ago. Okay. I can see that. In they this. did they did pretty good casting on that one. Yeah. They uh, to me, like it's really hard to cast children because you either really like them in the movie or you're like, Oh, this is horribly miscast. This is a movie it, that really got it right. I think it is easy for kids to be annoying when they don't, like over the top annoying. I also think it's harder for kids to show those type of emotions than a full-fledged seasoned actor does. Oh yeah, because they haven't had those life experiences. So, you know, you want to have a profound moment in a child's life on screen and it's like, well, I've never experienced a loss like that or something. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard to conjure up that feeling and there are three people in this movie that are beyond good i'll get into the cast and i'll just name them off i'll name them off by the who i think was great in this movie i really like river phoenix i Uh, do you're gonna say he he was such a good actor for his time and he was on his way up Mm -hmm. it's so sad to think that his character dies in this movie then he died in real life when did he pass away when did river phoenix pass away I think early 1993 at Johnny Depp's nightclub. So like in his 20s? Yeah. He was young. He. Some people were talking about how he was just the flash in the pan. I was like, what are you talking about? His career wasn't even getting off the ground yet. He was young Indiana Jones and all kinds of stuff. He was on his way up. Yeah. And his acting was always good. That's kind of in this movie... I think he would be more, his character dies more in like his 30s because they go to college and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I would say late 20s, early 30s, same deal. I mean, not the same way. Didn't go out the same way, but yeah. Another one in this movie, uh, Corey Feldman. Great in this movie. He was such a good actor at such a young age. It's so sad to see what's happened to him as an adult. And just from his his days of being a kid in Hollywood. It, I know. It's so sad. I just feel like Corey Feldman is, plays Corey Feldman in most of his characters. Like something outside of the box. from just uh, I don't know how to explain this, but like in The Lost Boys, I can tell it's Corey Feldman playing a character. But in a, a character like this, I feel like he's just being mostly himself. Kind of like in Goonies, I feel like that's Corey Feldman. I feel like he was that kid in real life. I don't Maybe. Know if it's because he did such a good job portraying that. Because in like Friday the 13th, he's definitely like that bratty. He does a really good job playing the bratty brother. So, well, That's part right, four. yeah. Or Gremlins. Yeah. I mean, he's he was versatile for such a young age. Mm-hmm. He was just able to, he could play that part for any movie. Uh-huh. And he's just so good in this movie. I forget that it's Corey Feldman even. I, yeah, I could see that. And the other great actor in this movie was Kiefer Sutherland. Okay. He is such a good bad guy that I see why he got put in Lost Boys right after this. I wondered which 
I couldn't think of which one came first, but you can tell it's definitely same era, Kiefer mm-hmm. Sutherland. This is Kiefer Sutherland right when he lost all that weight and was really trying to build his name. But this is also a thing I've noticed, too. When it's bad guy Kiefer, he has to have stubble. Oh, yeah. So this movie in Lost Boys, he's got like the stubble going with the blonde hair. <laughs> yeah. But he definitely had a look. And I would guess this movie is what got him Lost Boys. I Yeah, I could see that. And he plays one of the teenagers, of course, if you're not mm-hmm. sure like where they are age-wise. The kids were portraying 11, 12-year-olds where Kiefer's like 17, 18. Yeah. Then you have uh, Jerry O'Connell. He played, um, shoot, what was his name in this movie? Was that one of the kids? Yeah, he was the bigger, uh, the bigger kid. God, Vernon. Vernon, the one that had the he had the pennies <laughs> under the porch. And then couldn't find them, yeah. yeah. And then uh, Will Wheaton. Will Wheaton. Who, yeah, he plays... Um, the main character. I guess you could call him the main character for the movie. Ger- what is it? Gertie? It's not Gertie. It's, um, is it? Uh uh-uh, uh, it's Gordy. Gordy, <laughs> you call him Gertie? Gertie? I don't know. I don't know why I had that in my head. <laughs> I don't know. It happens. <laughs> no, there's there's plenty of people in this. Like John Cusack randomly has a a really yeah. good part as the older brother in this. Yeah, you get to see him. At, like I think only twice you see him in this movie. Yeah. Uh, the the chance mom. What is her name? Ooh. She was she's in the Gremlins. In Gremlins. She's the Gremlins mom. Yeah, I don't know her name though. Yeah, she's been in a few movies we like. Freaking uh, Dick Durox in this. He played Swamp Thing. What was he in this? He was the guy that owned the junkyard. Okay. All right. Well. Yeah, there's not a lot of adult cast. You have, I mean, Kiefer's gang. I think there's like six or seven of them. Mm-hmm. And then the four boys, and those are like your main character the four boys are the main characters yeah and then you kind of get the side story with Kiefer and uh the gang don't really know what the gang is uh, the cobras at least that's were they what called the cobras or were they called the spiders they did cobras and it was a snake that okay, they maybe did they were the snakes they um they carved cobra into their arms okay with a freaking razor like a straight razor oh I, I just I don't know I don't remember that but I'm not saying you're wrong well, okay. I have seen parts of Stand By Me. I don't know if I've actually sat down and watched it in its entirety, like most movies, because I am easily distracted. Always. <laughs> so I sat down and watched this one. So I do have it fresh in my mind. Mm-hmm. So that's why I know I'm certain it's Cobras and the S is a snake. Okay. This movie has an 87 or 89 minute runtime. So oh. just at an hour and a half. Yeah, that's great. great. This movie's shot perfect so that that makes more sense to me because it feels like it jumps from thing to thing really fast it's really great yeah it was made for about eight million dollars mm, okay that's which does not sound like a lot of money but that's a these, decent none of them of were known yet i mean i still think because of the Rob Reiner name and because of Kiefer and I think most we're Corey forgetting Richard Feldman. Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus is the narrator and the older uh, Gordy. Gordy, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He uh, really just had to pull out like a different type of acting for this because I think he was. It was hard for him to narrate this coming from a kid's point of view into an adult. Yeah. Which I've loved him forever, ever since Jaws, so 
I think you also only see him on screen twice. Mm-hmm. He narrates the beginning and the end. Yeah. But he says a couple things in between. But He has voiceover work, yeah, yeah. but you don't see him except for beginning and the end. Right. So, yeah, I could see that $8 million definitely, I could see where it went. Mm-hmm. And even Corey Feldman was kind of climbing up at this point. Yeah, he'd just come off of Goonies, so he probably his had star was on the climb. Yeah, I don't know about River Phoenix, how much work he had put in up to this point. Not a lot. This is really one of the movies that kind of pushed him. Okay. None of them really were doing anything except for Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman was the one that was supposed to be the one. He was like nonstop work there yes. for a decade straight. Yes. But this movie made $52.5 million. God dang. Oh, and we have can't forget it has the Stephen King name on it, too. So they got to give him a cut. Yeah. That makes sense. There's a lot of things about Stephen King and Rob Reiner. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you read the, the original script, it was going to be a lot like the book. So. Yeah. And you knew there was going to be butting of heads in it. The thing with Stephen King's work is he always seems to have at least something in his writing that cannot and should not be adapted to film yeah. like he just has very dark he I, if you've ever read stephen king i mean yeah. the biggest example i can think of and i hate it is it because he's got the scene with the kids in the sewer where they all have sex with beverly like you could never ever put that on screen ever no that's why they rewrote it and made it like a blood pack which is what it should have been all the all along Right. But I'm saying in Stephen King's work, he always seems to have that one uh, scene, that one moment where it's like, yeah, we can't put that on screen. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't know about this one because this was actually a novella that he wrote called The Body. Yes. And uh, I have no idea. I've I've not read it. So I don't know if there's anything that they left out that maybe was too... Stephen King's really bad about Rod Higgins endings. He always has been. In what way? He's just, he cannot finish a book the way it should be finished. It always feels like he's finishing it to lead into something else. Mm. I've never been a big fan of that. This is one of those ones where he can't do it because it's a one-off because it's not a horror uh, adaptation. But it's Uh still set in Castle Rock. That's what I was going to say. I wonder if he kind of has this lead off on each book because they all are set. Most of them are set in the same universe. Yeah. So like, uh, yeah, Castle Rock, everything, Maine, you've got, mm-hmm. it, he's, well, because this one's in Oregon, you said, right? Right. So this is different. Yeah. It is a different the, location. From the thing the- is, is like Stephen King writes for like three places on, on earth, but he, yeah. lo- he looks at all of them like it's our hometown. Stephen King writes everything like it's Terre Haute, Indiana. He's even quoted as saying that. And that helps most of Americans understand where he's coming from. I mean, for the people who are in bigger cities, you may not understand some of the writings that he has or like some of the characters that he writes, but those people exist in real life. Exactly. <laughs> they are walking these streets and it's terrifying. And it's it's tragic what happens to a lot of his characters. like. I, uh, Gordy man. has to go through something terrible. All these kids are going through something terrible. Oh, yeah. Yep. And we'll probably get into that, I mean, as we yeah. talk. But if you're ready to get into your favorite parts. Oh, yeah. And it's going to start off goofy to start. Okay. Well, then you can start because I feel like I. 
That's fine. Do my, not have one of my food. favorite parts in this movie is where Gordy has to go get their uh, food. Okay, <laughs> of course. It's the food. Yeah, always. It's always the food. Don't 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 make yourself a villain, Meg. <laughs> so what? Wait, what's funny about that? Just what, like when they're cooking over the fire. No, I just it's not. Who said it had to be funny? I've just, oh, well, you said a lighthearted scenes. scene. No, I said a funny scene for me. Oh, okay. Because you're always like, oh, the food scene. And it's not. I mean, that's actually kind of a sad part. It's when he gets a flashback of his brother. Yeah. That's probably one of my more likable scenes in this movie because you get to see all the stuff on the shelves. He's getting some Cokes and stuff. They don't have a lot of money. They just had to pull their own money together. But then you realize like a buck 80 in the 50s, they're going to eat great for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's not fair, man. And I'll, <laughs> I'll get into that later, actually, about the money they were carrying around. Okay. Um, so, yeah, he has the flashback about his brother, the... The guy that is running the store is ringing his stuff up, and he knows exactly who the kid is because his brother was a big-time football star that died before he uh, was getting looked at by colleges. And his dad loved the older brother, didn't really care for Gordy. And it shows throughout the movie quite a bit. Well, it's I mean, it's such a sad story. For Gordy, he can't even go out in public with me like, oh, you're his brother. It's not like, oh, you're Gordy. It's, oh, you're the little brother of the kid that we actually liked. He just can't catch a break anywhere he goes. That's yeah, the only brother, way people know him. Yeah. And his brother tries to give Gordy some shine because he's this kid that's got a creative mind and he can write things and come up with these ideas. That's the worst part is his brother is actually trying to get other people to notice him and be nicer to him. He's not even a mean older brother. He was, No, he was a sweetheart. He's doing his best to be like, well, you know, yeah, I'm good at football, but, you know, Gordy's really good at writing. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And everybody acknowledges him as like a good dude, too. Like, even the villains are like, you should have the same sense your brother had. Yeah. <sighs> Just John Constantly Cusack, Constantly thrown in his face. That's mm-hmm. awful. <laughs> It's just what happens when you have John Cusack as a, a sibling. We have covered so many movies with John Cusack. I know, man. He just, he dominated the 80s into the 90s. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're done with yours, I can go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, my first part, the the problem with this movie, I guess it's not really a problem. There are no real, like, funny, super funny parts, I guess. No. To, to think about. I mean, I could pick out little jokes here and there, but as far as full scene goes, um, they're all pretty sad. There's not a lot going on in this movie that's going to make you smile. And the first scene that I picked out is when uh, Gordy and, oh, I don't know River's character's name. I lost it. River Phoenix. They run into Kiefer and Chris. Chris, that's his name. And then Chris's older brother is actually part of Kiefer's Kiefer's Southern, yeah, gang. eyeball. He is runs into those two and Gordy's wearing his brother's hat. And they take the hat off his head and they won't give it back to him, which like, come on, like have a little bit of decency. That's his brother's and his brother has passed away. And he actually, I can't doesn't care about that though. As the villain. I know that's what makes him a good villain. <laughs> and he can't, 
I don't remember what Chris says, but Kiefer actually gets on his, like pushes him to the ground and gets on his neck and is going to put a cigarette in his eye mm-hmm. if he doesn't take back what he said. And I can't, something about his mom, I'm sure. There was a lot of yo mama jokes hanging around. Yeah, I mean, that's what movie. you do. You you take shots at someone's mom. That's never the dad because the dad will just beat your ass. Right. That's how you hurt people in the 50s. <laughs> but yeah, he was going to put the cigarette out. That's how you hurt people anytime. <laughs> I know. But putting a cigarette out in his eye, are you kidding me? He finally caves and he says he, you know, I'm sorry, I take, I it, take back. it back. But I mean, even his brother's just sitting there watching this and like encouraging it. How awful. Like what a crappy life. Gordy doesn't have a brother and the brother that Chris does have is a piece of crap mm-hmm. and would literally watch them, you know, cut him with a knife or put a cigarette out on him. He's not going to stop them. That's awful. Yeah, it's it's rough. It's really rough. Yeah, and it, <laughs> you get a really good sense of Kiefer Sutherland's character. I keep calling him that because I also don't know his Ace. Name. Ace, thank you. I knew that. Um, Just think of Ace Fairly and you won't forget it. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, you, you get a good sense of his character. One, he's not... He has no shame in taking the hat of his dead brother, and he's has no shame in physically harming a child. And that's just who he is. He didn't bat an eye. Yeah. He just kept doing his thing. He was he's a great bad guy. He is. He is. Dime store hood. <laughs> they do they, they call, call him that, that, yeah. Later in the movie. But that's my first scene. I was just like, goodness sakes. That's um, bad. Next scene. Probably the scene like uh, most people remember is the train uh track scene that was on my list too yeah mm-hmm. it, it's just it's an iconic scene first of all we'll get to it in the rating i'm sure but yeah. i feel like everyone knows the train scene whether you've seen this movie or not and we were talking about like how hard it would be to get across those train tracks with there's so much spacing if your foot fell oh yeah you're stuck or you'd have a broken ankle or something you would have to have perfect stride not to fall. To run across that trestle? Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Ugh. Well, I just... Because I have a personal experience with something similar to that. You do. So I identify well. It's like... It's very um, anxiety-inducing to watch that scene. I mean, there that trestle was much longer and much higher than the one that I dealt with. But my great-grandma lived... Uh, kind of, she lives on the north end of our town, but there was a train track that ran, at, ran through her backyard. She didn't have much of a backyard because boom, there's train. And we would follow that train track down a ways. And there was a trestle with a Creek that ran under it. And we'd always go down there to swim and play. And we'd get in trouble if we got caught going down there, but we were going down there one time. And if you're crossing that trestle, cause that the best way to get to the water is on the other side, of course. From the way we're walking. Uh, If a train came, you had to run and like slide down the rocks to get away from the train track. And it's scary. Like, I know what that feels like on some level to have to run from a train that's like, oh, my God, here it comes. (laughs) Yeah, I walked train tracks quite a bit because there's one not that far from my childhood home. Mm -hmm. But nothing to where I had to run from it or nothing like that. But we definitely had a lot of experiences walking those. It was fun as a kid. Oh, I would walk the train track home from middle school. Like Mm -hmm. it would run because it ran right through my grandma's backyard. I'd go to her house after school and my middle school was right by that same track. So I'd get on the track and walk it all the way to my grandma's house. Smart. 
Yeah. So if a train came, <laughs> you just had to like jump down into someone's yard and wait and then get back on the track when it was gone. Yeah. Because the thing with this track, there's no way in our town to track train time. It, it wasn't like in the 50s, like, oh, when was the last train? You know, this, you could have five trains in an hour in this freaking town. It's stupid. Well, that's, well, it's rough because you see, I can't remember his name, Vernon, mm-hmm. who's been carrying around this comb for when they get oh. on TV. <laughs> Yeah. And it falls out of his pocket and you just see it just floating down. And it's like, that was really, that was a really good ad for that scene. Well, once you saw how far down it yeah, was. Because you definitely just, you can see it for a little bit, then it's just gone where you don't see it anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. What was your next one? The train. I mean, that was my next one. I, oh, we can, sorry. No, it's fine. We can keep talking about it. Uh, because, of course, the thing is, Vernon is afraid to go across the, the train track. The, so he's crawling on his hands and knees and Gordy's behind him. And so Chris and Ted are up ahead. Teddy, yeah. And Gordy's being nice and staying behind him. And then when the train starts coming, he's telling, he's like, you have to get up or we're going to die. Like we, you, you don't have a choice. You got to run now. And that was the most frustrating part of that scene was him trying to get his friend to stand up. He's like, no, I'm scared. I'm going to fall. And he's like, do you want to fall or do you want to get ran over by a train? Because those are your options right now. Like, it's scary. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, is it my turn? No, oh, I just thought you were going to weigh in on that. Oh. I don't know. If that was ever like a case with me, would uh-huh. you be able to like run with somebody or would you just try to run faster? Um, I, (laughs) I feel like in the heat of the moment, I'm not a very coordinated person, but I feel like in the heat of the moment I can, um, I do well under pressure (laughs) and I think I would 100% leave someone behind. It depends on who it is, but I feel like I would have no qualms being like, you gotta be faster than that and just take off running. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think I would just try to run with them because either way, like, I'd you either drag get across, them behind me. You either get across or you die. I'd just grab their hand and I'd be dragging them if I have to. Like, <laughs> we're running. I act like I'm a, a, an athlete here. I'm not running that fast, but I would no. be running. It's a steady as jog, though. <laughs> yeah. It's fast. Get I that could. hard stitch. I, what do I say? I don't have like I don't have strength, but I've got stamina. Like I yeah, can there just you go. keep going and <laughs> just at a nice jogging pace for a while. <laughs> no, put under pressure. I think I could definitely. Yeah, I think you'd be just fine. Oh, it makes me think of. I don't know if anyone else has dreams like this. Do you ever have dreams where you go to run and it almost feels like you're running through molasses? Or like you're running in slow-mo. And no. the, the faster you try to run, the slower you go. No. I always have the one like riding bikes. Oh. I never do the running one. Oh, really? I guess I ran so much when I was younger that I've just run myself out of that. <laughs> or an opposite dream. I've had dreams before where like I will go to run downstairs and I'll take them like three or four at a time. Like I'm so agile that I could hey, I look at that face you just like you can't picture me going three or four stairs no I couldn't either but yeah in my dream I'm so agile that I can like run downstairs three uh, and four are you and saying three. going up or down down oh no uh, <laughs> nobody can do that 
another dream that I have that I absolutely hate. Have you ever had a dream where you're driving in a car and you go to press on the brake and the car won't come to a complete stop? Like it still keeps moving forward no matter how hard you press on the brake. No. It's still like inching. No. I've talked to my sister's girlfriend about that and she says she's had the same dream where it's like no matter how hard you press on the, the brake, the car will not come to a complete stop. No, I always had the one about riding bikes, but it's always like in like extreme condi- oh. conditions. <laughs> like I'm like, you're never supposed to have the dream like you land when you fall. Uh-huh. I always have that dream. I actually land when I fall. Oh, so no. I don't know what that means. Every time? Every time. Like, do you die? I No, I don't think so. Someone's I think analyzing I us right now. They're right into the dreams like, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. They're going to get back to me and be like, <laughs> you're going to probably not be around after 40. Oh, Jesus Christ. No, <laughs> that that's not good. Don't say that. <laughs> Or like the teeth falling out dream, which I've only had one time. No, but I've had that one like everybody has about school. Like Ooh, just going like, around like your underwear. Yep, yeah, I've had that dream. Terrifying. I was hiding in the library. I didn't want to come out because I was like naked. I would just went to my vehicle and went home. <laughs> well, it was in elementary school. Oh. I, I, in my dream, I was in el- my elementary school. Uh, yeah, I, I think mine was definitely like school, like older. <laughs> I don't think it was ever when I was younger. No, I was a child. No, oh. awful. Yeah, that, that's on your parents <laughs> more than anything else. Oh, because during that time they would have been making sure you were wearing clothes to get to elementary school. Uh, no, it was like one of those. I showed up and I was fully clothed, and then I wasn't, and I said, "Oh no!" <laughs> I like ran and hid in the library. <laughs> oh my god, we've gotten so off topic. Okay, you can do your next scene, your third one. <laughs> um, I had a lot picked, and now they're hard to really choose from. For just five, you know? Uh-huh. Um, Actually, I really am big on the scene where... Okay, so you have this part in the movie where uh, Vernon is underneath the porch, and he's the one that hears the story, but it's the two boys that hear the story, and they're trying to keep it to themselves, but it only goes 36 hours. Yeah. That's the part I'm talking about, where they're telling two people that's not each other anymore. Now, there's telling somebody to keep a secret, because apparently they just can't keep it to themselves. Right. Like, they think the other one's being honest about keeping the secret, and they're both mm-hmm. off telling someone else. So, Ace, being very bright, decides, well, we're going to take fishing poles down there. So, if we get stopped by the police, they'll know, hey. It's a fishing spot. Yes. Yeah. We're just here to fish. We found this body. Uh Uh-huh. It's kind of sad, though, to think about no one actually wanted to report where they found this kid because you didn't want to be a suspect. Because that's immediately what it makes you. If you call, it doesn't matter if you have any idea who the person is. In, like, today's age, if you find a body and say, hey, I found a body, guess what? You're getting questioned. (laughs) They want to know how. They want to know where you were. They want to know when. All sorts of stuff. And that's scary. No one wants to be in that position. No, not at all. Like it, it makes you wonder how many people go unreported because they're like, uh, I'm not, especially if you're someone with a background and have priors and you're like, God, I'm just going on a walk and I stumble on a body. I don't want to report this. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's terrible. Yeah. Just any of those scenes with Ace and his gang, mm-hmm. those are real fun to me. Like they're talking about the girl, how hard it was to uh, get it in with her. And they start saying it's because she's Catholic. <laughs> Oh. You got to date a Protestant. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, yeah, I forgot about that. that was, that's just really fun stuff. 
my next scene again is super sad. Mm-hmm. One of the more sadder scenes, I think, in the, the movie. But it's when Chris Chris and Gordy are more friends with each other. Yeah. And Vernon and Teddy are closer to each other. And that way, even though the, all four of them are friends. Again, same situation with Now and Then. I talked about it in that mm-hmm. movie. But it's when Gordy and Chris are sitting around the fire. I think maybe... Teddy and Vernon have gone to sleep at this point. I'm not sure. They're halfway through their little trek here. And Chris tells Gordy the story about how he stole some milk money from some kid. And yes, he did steal it. He ended up getting suspended for three days for it. And But the problem is he actually felt bad about it and turned in that money. But the teacher who he turned it into instead of like thanking him and clearing his name... She kept the money and said, yep, he stole it. And she went and bought herself something with the stolen money and let him get suspended for three days. Because she waited for her right spot. Because his, I mean, his older brother is a troublemaker and they are just like, well, you're going to be just like your brother. So we're going to treat you like it. And he's, he's already got this mark on him and he hasn't done anything. And yeah, he did do a bad thing. He stole that money, but he tried to give it back you know it's like he realized what he did was wrong and he's learning these bad behaviors from his older sibling he's trying to break that cycle not doing a great job but he's trying and i don't know it's a super sad story because he ends up like breaking down and crying because he's like that's just how people are gonna see me forever as this horrible kid and i haven't even done anything wrong thoughts it's 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 really strong because everybody's went to school with somebody like that, you know? It's just, it's thought-provoking. Oh, yeah. And it definitely brings in memories. Mm-hmm. This movie's really strong for me. Like, it's definitely a movie I kind of feel emotional about. Yeah. No, I, I remember a kid vividly in middle school that just, like, every teacher hated him the second he came in. They just, they're like... We already know you're going to do something bad, so we're just going to, like, sit you over here away from all the other kids. You're going to get stuck. Like, we're not going to give you certain things because we don't want it to be a problem in the first place. Like, they never gave him a chance. Yes, the kid, he was not well. I don't know what happened to him. I've really not thought to look him up. I don't even really remember his name. But, no, there was a teacher who actually put his desk. She moved these bookshelves to make, like, a little cove thing and put his desk in it and made him sit there where the rest of us couldn't see him yeah that was in fifth grade yeah it's just kids get treated differently i mean i mean sometimes it's never addressed like what's going on at their home and stuff and as an adult i know that now this episode's getting really deep i know (laughs) but yeah as a kid i didn't think about it that way i was just like he was the weird kid who was always in trouble so i'm like mm-hmm. stay away from that kid yeah and sometimes it just these kids carry a black mark on them yeah. that's what happens to chris chambers in this movie yeah river phoenix does a really good job of making you feel that emotion too in this movie mm-hmm. but that's my fourth <laughs> third scene it's a good one <laughs> uh my next scene is where this movie turns really dark and it's when they finally get to their destination they find the body and they said this he got hit so hard it knocked him right out of his kids 
Oh, by the train. Yeah, I didn't know if it was foul play, but yeah, they said he just got hit yeah. by a train, right? Yeah, he was picking blueberries and got hit by a train. They stumble across it. They're talking and it gets really deep. You have Gordy who just breaks down because, you know, this death just really hit him. And now he starts feeling all this emotion about losing his brother mm-hmm. and how his dad hates his guts and he'll never be good enough for his dad. Yeah, it definitely seems at this point that maybe Gordy never let those emotions out or never let, never mm-hmm. let himself feel those emotions. And it all, just seeing this dead kid brought it all to the surface. Yeah. Then, to make matters worse, Ace and Eyeball show up. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And it's it's not good. Ace says, you know, this is going to be... Uh, only going one way and that's us leaving with that body mm-hmm. and then Gordy and these guys say you know well it's not fair you guys drove here we camped we hiked here to get to this yeah they were going to carry the body back yeah I was thinking about that I'm like how are they going to do that that's that would awful. take them for a, forever to do that yeah and they just didn't they're kids they didn't think that through you know it didn't occur to them what that would kind of they're going to take more breaks and stuff. Yeah, this scene is really, it's really dark. Mm-hmm. Gordy has to save Chris. Chris has finally had enough. And he says something to Ace where, you know, it for Ace it crossed the line. And Ace is definitely a guy that doesn't care about getting in trouble. He doesn't care about consequence. Oh, yeah, Chris told him to go F his mother some more. Yes. Oh, that's a that's a bad one. So, being a 1950s movie, what does the the ultra bad guy have? A switchblade knife. Yes, he does. <laughs> and even Eyeball, who is Chris's brother, is like, he knows this is going to go too far. And he tells him, you know, the only way you're going to get that body is if you kill me. And he said, no problem. And yeah. Gordy, they, this whole time they've been carrying around this 45 pistol. Yes. Gordy fires around into the air. I did forget about it. That was a good good drawback. Mm-hmm. Because they do, they show that they have it in the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then it's right not brought the, up again. Yeah, it's right around the part with the hat. Yeah, right before that happens. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, this was my fourth scene too. Oh, really? When they Yeah, just Gordy's breakdown was really bad because throughout the movie, you see how... He makes the comment like when Richard Dreyfus is doing the narration, he kind of has a voiceover at one point where he says, you know, I was invisible to my mom. I didn't exist anymore after my brother died. And he's trying to ask his mom a question and she is 100% ignoring him. Like she can hear him. She even mm-hmm. stops and then keeps folding the laundry like, no, I'm not answering you. The dad has done that to her too, though. To the mom? Yeah. You saw it at the dinner scene when John Cusack's talking to the dad. Mm-hmm. And then the wife tries to say something and the dad cuts in on her. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what she says. But yeah, because he wants his son to be a man's man. And she, I think she I, says something that's... I don't think that's it. I think what it is is the dad cared so much about the older son because the older son was going to do something he didn't get to do. I Yeah, living like vicariously. This, yes. And so... The mom had to acknowledge the older son as well. Yeah. And then he kind of villainized the mom in that scene. 
I I mean, you're kind of seeing it through the kid's eyes at this point. And the fact that Gordy, even when his brother was alive, he wasn't important then. Like, through his eyes. And we have to understand that this is being told through the kid's point of view. Well, as an adult looking back on being a kid. So through his eyes, his parents didn't care about him. Now, whether that's true or not, it's hard to say because you have... uh, you have a, a narrator, an unreliable narrator is what that's called. Just, and you know, his, his dad didn't want to hear about Gordy writing because that's not, you know, it's not football. It's not his brother. And then after his brother dies, they really want nothing to do with him. And all of that comes to head at this point. And all just because he saw this kid's body and it has nothing to do with the kid Nothing to do with the fact that he's around their age. Yeah, it's just, it's a really powerful scene. Yeah, it's, it's very, su- and it's very dark. It's super sad, but I think it says a lot about when, we're going to get into some weird territory here, <laughs> if we haven't already. When parents, when a kid confronts their parent about something they did when they were little, and it's like, that really hurt my feelings, that really upset me, whatever, and the parent's like, I don't even remember that. That didn't happen. That's not how it happened. There, The parent may not even necessarily be gaslighting on purpose, but I mm-hmm. think the parent just, it was so insignificant to them, but it left such a mark on the child. And whether that's how his parents really treated him or not doesn't matter. That's the way he felt. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if that's how they actually acted towards him or not. That's the way he perceived it. And it's really sad. And I don't know. It, it just says a lot about childhood trauma and growing up and rational or dealing with it, I guess. Yeah, that's a good take, Meg. Sorry. <laughs> my own no, I said this was going to get deep. Traumas be creeping in this, there. <laughs> this is just that kind of movie. It's thought-provoking. It's it's taking you back down memory lane. Mm-hmm. There's so many good things about this movie. It's hard to really press the button on, you know, a, a favorite scene because, like, I I guess I feel like I can relate to so many of the scenes. Mm. I saw a kid get in trouble for something they didn't do growing up. Yeah. I saw that happen in my in front of myself, in front of a teacher I had a lot of respect for, then had no respect for them ever again. Hmm. And you know they don't remember that moment. No. It's nothing. No, and it may it gave me like it gave me trust issues through school. Mhm. I could see that. Yeah. I had a really bad experience in fifth grade. My fifth grade year was probably my worst year of school out of every year of school I had. And that's kind of the age these kids were in. They were going into junior high. So I can, I relate on that level that fifth grade was absolute nightmare for me. (laughs) So just the things I saw, the things that happened to me, things I saw happen to other kids. That's a terrible time. Yes. Like you should feel like, you should feel comfortable going to school. Yeah. And then you see something happen. And you're like, man, that means I could be in, tr- in trouble for literally anything. Mm-hmm. And that's a really sucky way to feel about anything when you see it happen live. Yep. That's why this movie's this movie's so close to my heart because I feel like it. It not only was it a big part of my childhood growing up watching it, but it kind of hits close to home on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. What's your fifth scene? I guess we got one more scene to do. Oh, man. I know. <laughs> well, honestly, I 
think the best scene of this movie is the ending. I love when Richard Dreyfus is going and he's given the background of what happened to them after they were going into school. That's my favorite. Like he talks about Vern got married right out of high school. Had a bunch of kids. Yeah, had a bunch of kids and got a, just a simple job in town driving a forklift. I mean, it tracks. Just lived his life. Because this is also my I don't want to sound scene. like that's, I don't want to sound like I'm downplaying that. No, it's no. It's not a simple job. He's driving a forklift. He's doing something to support his family. Don't to, don't attack me. The way I read that is that Vernon was always the safe one, the cautious one Very. of the group. Very. So it makes sense that he lived a cautious lifestyle. He did the safe thing. He got married, he had kids, and he mm-hmm. got a safe job and stayed in a town where he felt comfortable. comfortable. There's nothing wrong with that, but he sta- he didn't take any risks really in life. He really just, he, he played it safe. Apart from what happened to Chris, Teddy's is very tragic. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of wish they would have gave more about what happened with Teddy. Teddy adored his dad and his dad did horrible things to him because he had all this paranoia and PTSD. Yes. From storming the beaches in Normandy. So (laughs) he burned his kid's ear, but after really like thinking about it and trying to overanalyze, I guess, I don't know why I'm getting so deep. Uh, It's this. I knew this movie was going to do this. I, I kind of took it as the dad didn't want the same thing that happened to him to happen to his son. Mm-hmm. So he burnt his son's ear to damage him from being able to join the military. It It's a sad story. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm just adding on to what you said because his Teddy's, dad was so mean to him and so horrible to him. But he still looked up to him and that was still, it, it's like a dog. I think if you Teddy's, beat a dog and it's still like, but you're still my owner. Like I don't think it was just that. I think his dad was genuinely a he, good human being. That is just the thing that everybody held on to. Because oh, that's all da- they knew him for, yeah. Yeah, and he got moved to the ins- insane asylum because he couldn't handle day-to-day life anymore because, like you said, the PTSD was so strong. Like, there was no coming back home for him, if that makes sense. Well, and definitely in this time because his dad fought in a very... There's been so many wars throughout time, but I feel like this was a, a really impactful war that his dad was a part of even and he was then, in normandy that's like the biggest bloodbath in like america as like <laughs> a military that's like one of the bloodiest battles like we've had that wasn't the civil war well and military is pushed so hard today i mean the second you step out of a high school at the age of 18 you're getting slapped with a million just flyers and different recruiters trying to get you to join the military. And it's not to say to downplay what people in the military are doing today, but at that time, even in real time in the fifties, they knew that those wars were life changing. Those were a big deal. Like, and I don't want it to sound like I'm down. Like I'm taking down the military. I mean, you yourself are a vet. Right. So I don't want it to sound like that. It shouldn't sound like that. All I'm saying is this is a time where PTSD and all that wasn't really given the attention it needed. No, not... And because of that... You were crazy. Yes, and this poor kid is dealing with this trauma from not only getting his ear burned by his own father, but he's also got to deal with the strain of carrying this burden that he might also be crazy because of his dad. 
Yeah. It's I it's just like another toxic relationship. You you wonder why people stay with an abusive person. You wonder why they continue to care for the people who hurt them. This is why. Like it's And Chris is such a good kid. He tells him that his dad's a great man and a hero. Mhm. Like that character you feel so bad for his tragic ending. Mhm. Cuz well, let me stay on Teddy for a second. I'm sorry to jump off. <laughs> so Teddy tries like crazy to be in the military, mm-hmm. but he has terrible vision, which he wears those big glasses throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Hopefully you guys have seen the movie. It's almost 40 years old. Right. You have, you've had your time. <laughs> uh, and he has the part of his ear that's just burnt and part of it's missing. Mm-hmm. And it's messed up his hearing so bad that... He can't be in the military and it's really messed with him. So now he's went to jail a couple times and he just does odd jobs around Castle Rock. Well, it kind of sucks because it seems like that was his, he didn't have a backup plan. That was plan. his end game. Yeah, it was military. And then if he, he didn't even think of what would happen if they said no, he didn't think they would say no. Yeah, he even wore military garb throughout the whole movie. Yeah. So he, he wore his dad's dog tags, it looked like. Mm hmm. And he just, he had no plan after that. So when the military didn't happen, what do you do? There's nothing else to do. So yeah, he just like ran his life into the ground. Yeah. And then we have... Chris. Chris, who did make it out of Castle Rock. Right, the kid who thought he wasn't going to be anything and just be a troublemaker his whole life. Yeah, he... Wrong place, wrong time. He worked hard, got out. Gordy helped pushing through school. He made it all the way through college and he became a lawyer and then still being a good dude. All he does is go to get a meal. (laughs) Two people are fighting and he gets stabbed in the throat. He tries to be the civil one and break it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that probably is the saddest story. I don't know between him and Teddy. They're both pretty sad because it's, this is the kid who was afraid he was never going to get out of this town and never make something of himself. And he finally did or was starting to. And it was taken from him for no for no reason. So stupid. And then, of course, Gordy, the narrator, he's made it at this point. He's we're assumed to be a successful published writer because oh, he lives in house. a good house. He's got kids who, it ends with them actually coming in the room and saying, Dad, are you ready to go? They've got swimsuits on and towels. And once he's engulfed in his writing, it's all he's about. And yeah, he tells kids, him in a minute. And, and the kids are like, it's no use. Once he's doing that, he doesn't want to do anything else. And then he realizes that they're right. He needs to... And I think him writing the story about his friends helped him let it all all those memories go. Oh, it was super cathartic. I mean, the the very last line that he writes, it's not spoken, but the last line that he writes on the screen is, I never had friends like I did when I was 12 years old. And we talked about that actually getting ready to record this, that I think back to my 12-year-old friends, and I'm not friends with them anymore, but it was such like a a formidable time in my life that it kind of shaped who I am today. Yeah, um, this scene is really strong because he's putting the 
finalizing touches on this memory. And they've even said, you know, if you ever have a time where you can't think of anything, you can use our memories. Oh, they say that in the movie. I didn't hear that. Yeah. Which I think everybody's had that in their life where you've had a friend that passed at a young age mm-hmm. or just sometime in your life. So it gets hard to come back and relive those memories. Yeah. And this movie is one of those movies that no matter how many times I watch it, it does it. I, It's a super powerful movie. I'll give Stephen King this, that I don't know how much of it is true to his book, but for as much as he writes horror and gore and scary stuff, he was able to tap into a childhood that all of us have essentially had at some point. Not that all of us have stumbled upon a dead body or anything like that, but some of those experiences, some of the silly stuff, just camping out with your friends, walking the train tracks, the little things, you know? And this movie hits so much harder. Uh, It's so different watching it from a kid's point of view versus an adult point of view. Mm -hmm. Like... This movie you loved as a kid because of the kids living in the moment. And going on an adventure, essentially. Yes, it's so powerful. And then you realize as an adult that they wrote this from both perspectives. That's just the genius that Rob Reiner is. Mm -hmm. Like, being able to take both those aspects and work them into one scene at a time is... It's just genius. It is. I can't. I can't say enough good things about Rob Reiner. Mm-hmm. Well, shoot, this is. A- I feel like I got really <laughs> emotional doing this because <laughs> this movie is. It brings back so many hard, like memories for me. It's it's rough. See, I didn't watch it as a kid or a younger person. I've only ever seen it as an adult, so I only see it from. I mean, I could of course tap back into that childlike you know, ideals and try to feel like what it felt like. But God, when you're a teenager, when you're 12, 13, all the way up to 18, everything feels like the end of the world. Everything is like in the moment. You can't really imagine your life past that moment. Like that is it. That's your life. (laughs) And then as an adult, all you're doing is planning for the future. You know, it's a five-year plan. It's a 10-year plan. It's your retirement plan. It's, you know, when you're a kid, you don't have that. You don't have that foresight. You just have what you have in the moment. And the way this movie ends is it's perfect. Mm-hmm. He closes the door on that, on all that. Yeah. He finishes he turns the off book the com- and he can, he turns off the computer, stops writing, gets up and closes the door. And goes, That's the way the movie should have ended. And goes to hang out with his kid. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a really good movie. Really serious movie. I know this is a comedy podcast, but <laughs> it's... And I apologize that we're going long-winded about some things. It's just... I'm not. When you love a movie this much, <laughs> and it hits so close to home, it's hard not to give you the real aspect about this movie. Yeah. Well, 
<laughs> I guess I could break it up now with some trivia if you want. What was your fifth? The same. Oh, it the was same. the ending, yeah. Just seeing where everyone went with their lives and okay. how it all so, turned out. Rewatchability. Oh, we want to rate it. Are we doing trivia first? Or oh, wait. Yeah, do your trivia. I am so sorry. It's okay. I can't remember which came first. I think I might have a couple things to add, but we'll see. I've got quite a few here that I want to cover, so I'm going to... I know this is a longer episode, but that's okay. All right, so we talked about how good this movie is, how we feel watching it. So how did Stephen King feel watching this movie? You may be asking yourself, since this was his adaptation. I don't know, but I have a, a take about Stephen King on this movie. I watched a great documentary about it. Okay, well, after Rob Reiner screened the movie for Stephen King, he said he noticed that King was visibly shaking and wasn't speaking. He left the room, and when he returned, when King left the room, he came back and he told Reiner that that movie was the best adaptation of his work he had ever seen. And I said that today. Yeah. (laughs) I said that is the best Stephen King-based movie. Oh, I mean... He's got such a catalog, it's hard to say. But yes, this is 100% up there. Like, I love Stephen King. Don't get me wrong. I'm a horror fanatic. Mm -hmm. But Stephen King, when he writes serious, he has a different kind of magic to him. Yeah. And this movie, it it proves it. That story proves it. Mm -hmm. All right, so the campfire scene, the one where Chris actually breaks down and is having that emotional moment... Rob Reiner wasn't sure if River, he was sure that River Phoenix could do better. Mm-hmm. Again, the thing I talked about with kids, it's like they haven't had those life experiences, so they don't know how to express those emotions the way that adults do. So Reiner asked him if he could think of a time in his own life as an adult, um, or I'm sorry, when he could think of a, a time in his life when an adult had let him down and use that and think about that when he was saying his monologue. And apparently he was so upset and crying that he had to be comforted by the director afterwards. And the result of Phoenix's exercise during that scene is what ended up being the final cut. So he's like legitimately upset in that that moment. It's good acting. Mm -hmm. River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, Will Wheaton, and Jerry O'Connell, all four of the main kids, got into a lot here. Finally, some like a breath of fresh air here. They got into a lot of mischief at the hotel they were staying in during filming. So that included throwing all the poolside furniture into the pool. Wheaton fixed video games in the lobby so that they could play them for free. Um, Which makes sense because he's a he's a nerd in real life. <laughs> River Phoenix, who was uh, egged on by the other boys, unknowingly covered Kiefer Sutherland's car in mud, and then discovered later that it was his whose car it was. And he was confronted by Kiefer and was really upset about it. <laughs> like he was nervous and scared about it. Um, Kiefer Sutherland claimed in an interview that one of the locations of the film, it was, there was a Renaissance fair being held at the time that they were filming Mm -hmm. and the cast and crew attended it and bought some cookies. Unfortunately, the cookies turned out to be laced with pot. And two hours later, the crew found Jerry O'Connell high and crying in the park. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like Jerry O'Connell too. Man, he's like, he's like that in every movie, like Jerry Maguire, like he's his prima donna quarterback. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and then in uh, Scream 2, he's the boyfriend that can't take the breakup. Is Jerry O'Connell, is that Vernon in the movie? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so they got high at the Renaissance Fair. <laughs> I was actually expecting like a, a Corey Feldman story because like he is, 
on a whole nother level now. I've got some Corey Feldman stuff. Not crazy stuff like that, but. No. So the pond that the boys fall into Uh is man-made. Really? That's not an actual pond. They said the crew wanted them to be safe and secure and didn't want to put them in a real pond because they didn't know what would be in it. But when Corey Feldman was interviewed later, he said the the pool was built in the beginning of June, but they didn't film till August. And it was out in the in nature. So he's like, it didn't really matter at that point because it right. sat for two months. Uh, there was an interview with Stephen King and the special features of the DVD of this movie that you can't actually see. I watched it, yeah. He reveals that the scene with the leeches, which is straight from his no- novella, actually did happen to him when he was a child. Yeah, did you hear Did you uh, hear how they found the kid had leeches? How? He did a handstand in the water. Uh, when he came up, they saw uh, that he had, they thought he had mud on his legs. Oh, uh-huh. But then they saw blood coming from it, and they told him when he came up, and he just passed out in the water. They had to search for him under the water. Yikes. Okay, so I mentioned this earlier about Corey Feldman and Teddy being really close to the same. Mm -hmm. That is not, or like, I feel like Teddy is closest to real life Corey Feldman. That's actually the truth. Corey Feldman has stated in several interviews that Teddy is one character he played that was the closest to his personality and personal life at the time. Goonies is my favorite movie. I'll Uh say that a hundred times out of a hundred. But Corey Feldman in this movie, this is the best he's ever he he's acted. Mm-hmm. That's not a that's not a shot at him because he did great in so many movies. Yeah. Um. Okay. So the shot where Gordy and Vernon are running towards the camera on the the train uh-huh. with the train behind the train was actually at the far end of the trestle with two actors on the opposite end. The crew used a 600 millimeter long focus lens, which shot at the telephoto end, which means nothing to me. But when they compressed the image, it made it look like the train was a lot closer than it actually was. Oh, okay. Because looking at that scene, I'm like, is that green screen? It almost looks green screen, but it's because they filmed it in a long shot and then condensed it. Mm. Yeah, so it makes everything look like it's closer to itself than it is. Yeah, so they were nowhere near the train, if anyone's wondering. (laughs) That would make sense. I hated this scene. We didn't bring it up and I couldn't bring it up. (laughs) (laughs) Rob Reiner agonized over the pie eating scene. We didn't even talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was having trouble trying to envision what kind of uh, writer Gordy would become. Ultimately, he said, quote, ultimately in my mind, he became Stephen King. And Stephen King is a great storyteller. And most of the stories he tells are supernatural or they're horror involved. So he decided to go over the top (laughs) rather than cartoonish. And kind of how it would appear in a boy's mind. Yeah, it's a revenge story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, according to Reiner, the audience went crazy for it, and he justified leaving it in. <laughs> and I don't know, I, it's somewhere else in here, but I guess during the filming of that, some kid actually threw up on set watching everybody throw <laughs> up. <laughs> Ooh, I said I'd talk about the money. So the $2.37 that the boys have to buy supplies prior to their Oh, I didn't think about that. No, it, the buying power that it had in 1959 is the buying for, so $2.37. Uh-huh. If you had that in December of 2021, that would be $22.53 is what those kids were carrying. Okay. That's intense. Jesus. Inflation. Stephen King <laughs> just uses every part of his uh, work mm-hmm. to just tie into everything like two dollars and 37 cents i guess i never even put it together that's how much they had yeah i didn't 
I didn't either. One of my favorite scenes is when Gordy shoots on uh, <laughs> on Vernon about his seven cents. Because uh-huh. Vernon was talking about all the stuff that he, he should have got for breakfast. <laughs> He's like, sorry, I guess I should have been more cautious with your seven cents. Hey, his seven cents would have actually been closer to a dollar. <laughs> Something yeah, like a, that. Which got is a sad. for sure. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. While practicing his lines, Jerry O'Connell was impressed that as an 11-year-old, he was allowed to swear. Huh. <laughs> um, what else? As the, At the insistence of uh, Rob Reiner, the cigarettes smoked by the boys were made from lettuce leaves. I believe it. They weren't smoking it. I wondered that, too. I was like, mm. So the novella and the film take place in the town of Castle Rock. Um, Maine and then Oregon, respectively. Castle Rock became the name of Rob Reiner's production company. Mm, yeah. Which I didn't know that. Uh, Corey Feldman tested 30 different laughs before they decided on one for Teddy. Which is really weird. The laugh happens to be similar to that described in Stephen King's story. That's good. What a random thing. Um... I don't know. I can maybe give you one more. River Phoenix actually auditioned for the part of Gordy, but Rob Reiner thought that he would be better cast as Chris. It's the acting. I guess, yeah. Chris is a way deeper part. Mm-hmm. There was a lot. There's it, so much more. There's so much trivia, but I can't get into all of it. We're I want to like super... talk about one thing I knew. I, I realized about this. Yeah. So I watched this documentary and it talked about Rob Reiner and Stephen King having like kind of a butting of heads over certain things uh-huh. because Rob Reiner is also a really good director. Mm-hmm. Stephen King's a really good writer. It's the directing that he has a problem with. This is one of those times where Rob Reiner's ending was a lot better than what Stephen King wanted on film. Oh yeah. And so you had this butting of heads and then they were talking about who the lead in the movie was. Because to Stephen King, it was Chris. But mm-hmm. to Rob Reiner, it was Gordy. Gordy was the one that was going to be the one telling the story. Yeah, that's true. He's the one that was going to have the loss that would lead to this big climax at the closing of the movie. Uh-huh. So. I'd say, I mean, yeah, Gordy Gordy's would probably the, be the main character because it's being told through him as an adult. Yeah. I mean, all the characters are tragic in their own right. Yeah. But Gordy is the one that's moved on and now he's trying to come to the closure of it. I mean, if that's really how Stephen King wrote the book, that it's told through the writer's perspective, it couldn't be Chris because Chris died. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, that's all the trivia I have. There's so much more. Yeah. Didn't want to get into it. This is one of those movies where you do a deep dive into everything about it and you're just kind of blown away. Oh, yeah. But we can go ahead and rate it now. <laughs> yeah. So the first thing we're going to rate it on is... Rewatchability. <sighs> Rewatch. This is hard because it is a good movie, but it's a sad movie. So how often do you really want to watch a sad movie? I watch this movie not just because it's sad. I watch it because, one, it's a great 80s film. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're a fan of like Corey Feldman and stuff like that, like this is one of those movies that's deep in his catalog. So um, I'm going to give it. And I watch it pretty much every summer. 
at I, least. I think I'm going to give it a three just because I could watch it, but I feel like I don't want to watch it too often. Don't want to lose the magic. Mm. I'm going to be honest with you. I'll probably give it a four and a half. I want to give it a five. I thought <laughs> I figured you would. <laughs> um. Okay. So the next thing we're going to rate it on is its legacy. This legacy stands on its own. Um, it's been parodied a few times. It's referenced a lot. Uh, it's in the Stephen King universe. It, the, it's it's no, a five for me. Yes. I've just, I've seen it in pop culture and so mm -hmm. many other things, just scenes from this movie or the idea of this movie. And there are so many people in Hollywood that this is their favorite film. This movie was voted like in the top, in like so many of those category shows uh -huh. for scenes in the movie, uh, for legacy and all that, it's voted as one of the greatest films of the eighties. Yeah. Um, I could see that. I think it was a defining film. Very much. I give it a five too. And then the last thing we're going to rate it on is the look and feel of the movie, which music's great. Uh, it's very well cast. I know. I didn't get into it in the trivia, but this had a big resurgence in those songs. Mm -hmm. Stand By Me, of course, the title song. Uh, a lot of the music in it just, it started hitting charts again because of this movie. Stand By Me, like, they reshot a video for it. Yeah. yeah. With uh, River Phoenix and Will Wheaton, who had definitely grown up a little bit in it. Oh. Because River Phoenix had long hair, and he was a lot taller, and so was Will. They were oh, both really, really tall. Were they playing their characters from this movie? No, they were just having fun oh. on set. Um, Which, I, Stand By Me is a great song, so. Yeah, the look of this movie is really good. I mean, I don't know how accurate it is to the 50s, really. I would hope they did their research, but. I think it is. Like, the dress, definitely, the cars. I mean, mostly what you're seeing anyway is them out in the woods, so there's not a ton to. Also, like, the carved tattoos and all that yeah um <laughs> a lot yeah. of dialogue i think uh overall well there's nothing stopping me i'll give it a five i was gonna give it a four but i'm like why <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna give it a five i'm gonna be honest with you about this one uh we've had one movie get a what we call it a diamond a rating diamond rating yeah i think this is the second one for me that gets a diamond rating even though you gave it a four and a half? I wanted to give it a five. I think rewatchability, I think it has strong rewatchability. Kids, when you show it to them, love this movie. When you watch it with your friends, you're caught in that moment. Everybody has a memory with this film that's seen it. It is. It's a good movie. Um, yeah, my overall, I'll give it a four overall. It's a really good movie. Even though, you know, this is the first time I've really sat down and watched it from beginning to end. It was really good. Okay. Very thought provoking. <laughs> this episode was a little bit of therapy for us, I think. <laughs> it was. It was like, this is one of those ones where I kind of started off a little, I don't know. I was kind of, This is one of those ones where I was kind of nervous starting out about doing any of it. Yeah. we Because I didn't want to get like too deep. <laughs> yeah. And it ended up happening anyway, but it, it felt good. Well, we all, yeah, we almost covered this a little bit earlier and we're like, man, it's just such a, uh, like a hard, a sad movie, a hard movie to cover that we don't want to 
deviate too much from the comedy aspect of it. But sometimes, I mean, it's just, it's going to happen. It's fine. Yeah, it's a great film. Yeah, but hopefully we'll pick it up a little bit with this next film. (laughs) If you (laughs) stick around, you can hear a little bit of a sneak peek of next week's episode. Definitely. Everybody have a really good week. Right? Oh, man. Call your friends. Text your friends. Let's be honest. You're texting, not calling. (laughs) This is one of those times where I want to do more and just say goodbye to you. Definitely check in on people. This movie does that to you. And if you can, definitely watch this one. Yeah. And show it to your kids, too. This movie's so good. Yeah. Even though there's a dead body. Full on. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Show it to your kids. That's fine. (laughs) All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Next week on the Retro Club. Anyway, this is also a movie that made me a big fan of s'mores. You didn't like s'mores before? Megan, my family didn't have that kind of s'more money. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't get a mallow. You take the mallow. I know what you do. On the ground. (laughs) Man, don't quote it to me. No, I'm serious. My mom always like baked us cakes and stuff. I didn't have like s'mores and stuff like that. Oh, God forbid you had a homemade baked cake. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, your family had to rely on graham crackers, a Hershey bar, (laughs) and a marshmallow. And hot dogs and cheese and a panini press. (laughs) (laughs) With fries and mac and cheese. That actually sounds wonderful. I'm not hating on that at all. Oh, God. Let's go so we can have some right now. (laughs)